Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 2, Home, is over, but we're just getting started here on the Game of Thrones Book Club. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by Terry Schwartz. Terry, we're home! We're home, finally. (laughs) That's sort of what it felt like, though. At the end, I was like, ah. This is the moment we've been waiting for. Yeah, we were stepping back onto the proverbial Millennium Falcon. It was just like, you know, putting on a well-worn pair of shoes that you hadn't worn in a while. You forgot them in your closet, and it feels so good, except you didn't forget about them in your closet. You obsessed about them all summer long and knew that those <laughs> shoes were coming back. Also sort of for the past five years. Yeah, but also for the, <laughs> for the past five years for us. Uh, yeah, we were talking about this on the Game of Thrones live show that Rob Cesarino and I did on Sunday night, where it was like, you show-only people. You only had, you, don't even you don't even have a full year that you had to deal with that. You have no idea how tough this has been. <laughs> well, I guess I guess this is the point in which we say spoilers. So spoilers, spoilers, spoiler alert. Welcome but, to, yes, let's well, let's just do that really quickly. This is the Game of Thrones book club. If you've wandered in here by accident, this is the place on post show recaps where I join up with Terry Schwartz every week. We talk about Game of Thrones from the POV of people who have read all of the books in the Song of Ice and Fire. Anything written by George R. Martin is fair game, uh, at least in the Ice and Fire universe. I would say any right. like his wild card stuff or whatever. Uh, you could leave all that alone. Yeah, we aren't really talking about like Armageddon. Rest, we're not really right? doing that, but we're talking all things Ice and Fire, everything in the proper series, anything ancillary. If that is not your bag, get out of here. You don't want to be here. I know that there is this perception that the show and the books are entirely caught up. That is oh, lar- no. that is largely true on a lot of things, not entirely true. So last warning, spoiler alert. We always do a really long spoiler alert. This is it. We're done with it. Jon Snow, you're back. You're alive. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank you for not making us wait until the end for the end. I know. I, this is what I've been telling you, Terry. I was like, it's going to happen soon. It has right. to happen soon. You were right. And I was like, it's so funny. I hope you're wearing people- a mustache. <laughs> I am. You all, you all can't see it. Yeah. Um, uh, we have been so focused on the, like, is Jon Snow, when is Jon Snow coming back question that I don't think anyone's really been talking about what happens when Jon Snow comes back. Right. And that's what was most exciting to me about the fact that this happened in episode two of the season is we have eight more episodes of whatever Jon Snow is now. And there was this great entertainment, we- well, there was this entertainment weekly story that came out about how he wasn't called Jon Snow on set. The code word for Kit Harrington's character was LC, LC? or Commander. And that makes me wonder if they aren't calling it, like they called him Jon Snow, obviously, in the dialogue, but if he's not being called Jon Snow that much, maybe he does start going by another oh, name this season. I, my tinfoil hat is like so, it's like a full crown. It's tight, tight it's like tinfoil hat. It's like a Star hat. Wars hat, yeah. <laughs> tight tinfoil hat on Terry Schwartz today. It's like a Star Wars hat. Well, may the fourth be with you, Terry, the, as we are recording. With you this. as well. Yeah. It always feels like a lisp whenever I say it. May the fourth be with Doesn't you. Doesn't it feel like slightly offensive to people with lisps? I don't know. I mean, I don't have one, but I got to imagine. It's like, could you stop making this may the fourth be with you joke? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like fun. it. No, it was just but, a, the sound. So, so I believe we're distracted from this already. Um, how did you think, uh, what did you think about the way that it played out? Well, it played out 
basically the way that I expected it to. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've been talking about Jon Snow forever. You know, he dies at the end of A Dance with Dragons, or you think that he dies, or maybe he's alive somehow. Popular opinion is he's dead. He's obviously dead at the end of season five. We've been spending anywhere from five years to almost a year, depending on if you're just book only or started with the books or show only, uh, debating how on earth is Jon Snow going to come back because he is so much unfinished business. It just makes no sense if this is where the Jon Snow story ends. It's not like the Red Wedding. It's not like Ned Stark where those are big, shocking moments, but those are the conclusions of those characters. It makes sense and they are not major players in the grander, grander, grander plot that's going on here, which is these ice death zombies north of the wall that are trying to storm down through Westeros. Jon Snow is there. He is the guardian of that storyline. He asked, he also has all this R plus L equals J nonsense that's going on behind him that we'll dive into in this episode for sure and have talked about in the past. The fact that he might be and very likely is the son of Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen. Uh, there's just so many reasons for him to come back and the question was always like, how is it going to happen? What's right. going to happen? And you know, there are, I think that there's still some interesting stuff that we can debate back and forth here a little bit. Um, but the fact that Melisandre is the chief architect of his resurrection, at least as it seems on the show, that makes sense to me. That's basically what we were thinking, right? That's exactly what I thought. And I'm going to plug you a little bit, Josh Wiggler. But you have this great interview on thehollywoodreporter.com with Jeremy Podeswa, who's the director of this episode. And you flat out asked him, you said, you know, did it mean anything that the camera sort of lingers on Ghost for a minute? Like, right. does that lend credibility to the theory that John somehow worked? Or there's, you know, theories that that maybe Jon Snow's soul or, or whatever it is is whole because he warged into Ghost before he was resurrected and came back out of Ghost, and so he didn't sort of go through the process that Lady Stoneheart and Beric Dondarrion did right. when uh, when they died and came back lesser people. Uh, so I didn't ask you... the question in such vivid detail, Sorry. but that was yes, certainly I'm, the spirit I'm of the question. I'm it out for everyone else because I'm super excited. I just yeah. spent like a minute explaining that. But why don't you uh, let everyone know what the answer is if you don't want me to paraphrase? No, well, I, I don't have the answer directly in front of me. We talked about this a little bit on the feedback show as well with Rob this week. Uh, but I did ask the director that question of, is there anything to read into the fact that Ghost looks up at John right before John lurches awake? And I believe he said, I cannot answer this question. Uh, Which I'm like, huh? Yeah. Because you would feel like he, he could have given, you know, some sort of malarkey answer that's like, oh, well, direwolves are very fond of their masters, as we've seen with all the other Stark kids, and they're super sensitive to any sort of weirdness that's going on. And so Ghost sticks around because Ghost knows that something weird is about to happen with John. Like, you could feel like that answer could be given. The fact that he gave an answer that was, I can't answer the question. Let's see how it plays out on the show. You're going to want to see how things play out on the show suggests to me that maybe some ghost warging action did go on. Same with me, which surprised me because yeah. I thought I was like, this is sort of the Melisandre theory was my favorite theory. And I actually haven't been crazy about the ghost theory. I'm very glad that he didn't turn in. John didn't turn into a white Walker. Like some people were saying, I was like, that just makes no sense. people." Right. But, uh, but yeah, so the ghost thing, I was firmly like, Oh, that wasn't happening. That was sort of a red herring for people who thought that way until I read your interview. And now I'm, now I'm curious. 
Well, I think what might be interesting about it is, you know, the the story, the books are called A Song of Ice and Fire. And if Jon Snow is the son of a Targaryen and a Stark, then he has ice and fire flowing through his veins, and he may be the Song of Ice and Fire. And now, drilling down into it a little bit, if the way that he came back to life is some sort of collaboration between Melisandre bringing him back to life with magic gleaned from the Lord of Light, uh, and also the fact that he had warged into Ghost, direwolves being from north of the wall that sort of is the intersection in terms of the ice magic and the fire magic that we have seen on the show so i think that there's some thematic relevance to that as well uh so i i like it i like it i i mean who knows we don't really know exactly what happened yet all we know is that john is alive it occurred after some sort of weird bizarro relore ritual that melisandre performs it doesn't seem like it works initially they all leave ghost looks up John stands up. So I do want to briefly say the execution of the scene, like uh, uh, there was a lot of commentary that maybe it was too predictable or right. they shouldn't have done it or whatever. Anything that you have anywhere for a year, from a year to five years to speculate about is going to end up being predictable. Everyone was speculating about this. That being said, this scene sold me. I'm being really well directed by Jeremy Podesta when it made me doubt for a minute, yeah, for a second, wait, is this not going to happen? Is this just going to be a fake out? Are they just going through this process to really kill this theory and say, nope, that didn't work. He's super dead. He's getting burned by torment. The fact that it made me feel that doubt sold me on it. I was like, all right, even though it came back the way that we've been talking about for a year now, for longer between the two of us, just in our personal lives, like that made me really like this scene. And again, I'm so excited to see what comes next. The promo for next week where you can just see the look of shock. And I think a little bit of horror on some of the wildlings faces on Torment's face. And there's a photo of Davos that was released. That's him just like, Oh, like (laughs) that you can assume what he's looking at. I'm so excited to see the aftermath of this and just what Jon Snow is going to do. hundred percent. I think that that's the cool part now is like it, it, it was a, foregone conclusion that Jon Snow comes back. It was really, you know, exactly how is it going to happen? That's up in the air. And then, what happens next? Presumably, he is going to be a huge, huge, huge player in the war against the White Walkers. You got to imagine that his history as a, as a Targaryen, that comes into play somehow, some way. I think for me, one of the things I had been wondering, I think a lot of people have been wondering as well, is like, will that specifically feed into his rebirth? Um, at least on the show, it doesn't seem to be the case. But again, we don't really know the full specifics of the mechanics behind him coming back to life. So it's not impossible that some sort of fiery blood thing was happening there. Um, But I think what's really cool now is we are completely in the dark in terms of what happens next. What is the next move for Jon Snow? I think you look at, um, you know, you look ahead, you look at the title, Oathbreaker. One of the theories that I had been pushing on the podcast recently is Jon Snow died, is not technically have to be part of the Night's Watch anymore. He could break his oath. His oath may have been broken for him in getting killed. So I think that you could see Jon leaving the wall. I think what makes that difficult is Jon Snow is such a loyal dude, and he, more than just about anybody, knows how critical the wall is right now. So for him to turn his back on the wall at this moment in time, a little hard to see why exactly he would do that, unless he just like joins up with Tormund Giantsmaid and is like, yo, Tormund, let's go rogue and kill all these White Walkers ourselves. Yeah, it's interesting because we've seen, you know, Ramsay is talking about attacking Castle Black or heading there because that's where he thinks Sansa is going to yeah. go, uh, which, yeah, doesn't quite jive with John Lee leaving the night 
Night's Watch unless it's something where he's like, whatever, I'm going to break my oath and I'm going to go fight Ramsey Bolton and get revenge. But one thing that's interesting, if you look at Resurrection in the books, and this is where the being the Game of Thrones book club, this comes in handy, uh, is look at what Resurrection did to Catelyn. Look at what it did to Beric Dondarrion. They yeah. became very single-minded in their goals. And for Catelyn, that goal was revenge. And I think the way this scene was handled pretty much explains why we never got Lady Stoneheart. We've sort of talked about this before, but like, don't spoil that surprise with someone who might not be as important as Jon Snow. Totally. Save it for that. Uh, so I wonder if we see him sort of like double down on revenge or if there's some other main goal, whether it's defeating the White Walkers that like Beric became so focused on, you know, making the Riverlands safe and defeating all these people he was told to kill. Like maybe Jon is just very single-minded and we need to defeat the Night's King. We need to defeat the White Walkers. Everything is less important upon my resurrection. Do you think his complexion is going to get any better? <laughs> it was funny. My mom called me after the episode and she was like misremembering the books. And she was like, didn't like, doesn't no one ever heal from that stuff? Is John just going to be bleeding everywhere from his wounds? <laughs> I was like, no, I don't think that's how it worked. I think Catalin was a bit too destroyed to be saved. Like, well, in, she was also like part. on, on top of like having her, th- her throat slit. She was just like bloating in a river. Yeah, wasn't she just like severely waterlogged? Yeah. She was like face down in a river for three days with yeah, like her. Tough. Yeah. So I don't think it's, quite that bad i have a feeling you well, know John maybe he was dead for what eight hours you know he was dead for like 10 hours true. i guess that's true you know, it was half um, a day but what's crazy is like even with the john snow of it all this was a massive episode they are just speeding through story and it's it like a bit crazy there's a lot there's a lot to chew on in this episode i want to talk a little bit about an aspect of the john snow resurrection before we move on from john i'm sure we'll keep talking about john throughout the podcast but just while we're on the subject primarily principally uh this was from muaz muhammad who had written in last week uh wrote in again this week and says i really enjoyed the episode this week and felt that every scene was gripping however after the show i couldn't help but feel some sadness knowing that george R. R. martin's story is being spoiled before he can tell it especially with the john snow resurrection do you guys think that when John's resurrection is revealed in Winds of Winter, it will lack the same impact? Um, I think that it's worth drilling down into this for a second, Terry. Uh, whether or not you want to say George R. R. Martin's story is being spoiled, uh, you know, aspects of the story, like the specifics of how it's going to play out in Winds of Winter, you got to imagine are going to be a little bit different from what we're getting on the show. Or maybe not. I mean, if Ghost is involved on the show as it's being set up in the book. What, what were you thinking while you were watching this episode from that vantage point? Was that on your mind at all? Like, oh, man, this is happening. And I'm seeing John come back to life on screen before I'm reading about it. This is a little bit strange. Because I'll admit that I definitely felt a little bit of like a, huh. Like, there was just a moment for me that was like, oh, wow. That, yeah, really that's, sort of, that's sort of over the whole season for me. And I was actually, I was talking with a coworker earlier about um people complaining like why was this made into such a cliff- big cliffhanger if they were going to bring him back so soon and i think it's because everyone was hoping that george would get the next book out before right. they had to reveal this and that's why they sort of ended that storyline where it did instead of straight bringing him back uh i think it comes with the territory i think as we're looking ahead and we'll get into this later but it certainly looks like they're going to be doing tower of joy next week based on the promos yeah. and like does that mean we're going to find out who Jon Snow's parents are in the show before we do in the books. Like that's, that seems like the strangest to me. This you gotta we imagine, all thought was yeah. inevitable. And I don't think anyone really fully thought 
Jon Snow was going to be dead forever in the book, so it wasn't that much of a spoiler. But I'm, yeah, I'm. This season's a bit bittersweet for me, and maybe the next season, depending on how long it takes George to get out the books. But it, it is a bummer it, from the book reader vantage point that it's happening before George is able to be the one to tell it. I would like stop short of saying it was depressing or anything. Like it wasn't that. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't depressed. I was stoked. John Snow's yeah, back. Of course, a hundred percent. But there was like there there was just a little moment of melancholy. I think where it's just like, huh? Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, that happened. Uh, like it was just like a little bit of. It, it, it was the first time I really felt that with this season so far. Granted, we're only two episodes in. Um, but you and I talked about the premiere episode, and I've talked for a long time about my sort of agnostic view of like it's the show. The show has to do what it has to do. Uh, you know, the show has to exist. It has to tell the best story that it possibly can. And unfortunately, the production reality is that George's books are not out, and the show must go on. It is a huge juggernaut of an, of an enterprise. You can't just shut it down for one man to finish his story. Unfortunately, this is the world we live in. And I've, so f- I've been pretty good about that. And I, I think I still am. I, I'm definitely still okay with it. It was just the one moment where I was like, this happened on the show first. Okay. Well, so far, we're sort of uh, one for four on deaths that's happened, big deaths that happen in the show that have already happened in the books. Right. And now we're one resurrection that has not yet happened in the books. <laughs> right. Yeah. In terms of main characters. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I thought that that was interesting. I with you, though. Yeah. And I have a feeling those moments are going to keep coming, but hopefully there are some rewarding stuff, too. Like, I, I'm sort of thinking already of this season as the season of fan service when we're just getting stuff that we've speculated about for years and wanted for years. And those things are happening. And whether or not George gives them to us sort of as easily as David and Dan are, that remains to be seen. But it is crazy that we're getting through all these moments. And, like, again, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but, like, Finding out Euron was, in fact, the person who killed Balin and right, right. moments like that that, you know, we just assumed or discussed a lot and seemed likely in the books. But I don't think that I would call that fan service. I think that's payoff. You know, I think that that's the yeah. kind of thing that the seeds have been planted for so many of these reveals. And we're just at the point in the story where the show is at the is at the stage of the reveal for a lot of maybe, those things. Maybe I call it fan service because I just assumed that George would never, ever give us what we want. <laughs> Like, we're going to be wrong about everything. That's very funny. (laughs) That's really funny. Uh, I mean, he is a cruel guy, but I feel like, uh, (laughs) you know, on some level, he has to fulfill the promises of the story. Listen, he won't even give us the book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, these are fair points, Terry Schwartz. Fair (laughs) points. Fair points. All right, so much to cover in this episode. I'm trying to think of where's the next best place to go, and I think let's Roos. go. You Roos. you want to you go to Roos first. All right, let's go to Roos, Roos. Because it's the one thing that legitimately surprised me in this episode. Yeah, I was, was a like, shocker. Holy, what? What is happening? Um, that was nuts, and it was funny because I talked to Michael McElton, who plays Roos, and uh, Ewan Rion, who plays Ramsey Bolton, at this junket that we did, um, talking to the cast of Game of Thrones, and during that conversation, just like on the side question this was before this was before the premiere i was at the same one. right yeah. yeah this it was after we'd seen the first episode but before we'd seen the second episode but right. yeah before the premiere so just like as an aside i was like you think they never like turn against each other and they like sort of gave me a funny like 
answer and then quickly moved on. But now it's like, oh my god, I was on to something. Yeah. <laughs> they full on went there in episode two. Yeah, that scene played out so well, I thought. Uh, I mean, I know that people have been picking apart, no pun intended, some other aspects of what happened at Winterfell this week. But I think that between Ramsay and Roos, at least, that was really great for me. And one of my favorite parts of the scene is, at least at first, and maybe it's just me, but I, I, I felt this way, uh, that you don't know who got stabbed at first. Uh, you know, yeah, you, it's unclear. Yeah, you hear it. You know that somebody got stabbed, but there is like a, a one to two second period of time where you're like, did Ramsey Bolton just? Oh, it's Roos. Uh, and, but either way, it would have been a shock because these very wicked men are both still alive in the books. Uh, so yeah, Roos Bolton got barristened. Also, another credit to the director, Jeremy. I really appreciated, upon reflection, how much this scene paralleled the Red Wedding. Yes. I thought that it was like it was a very good touch to do that. Granted, it wasn't like Sansa or someone like that stabbing Roose, but he did get his comeuppance. Uh, you know, after that big gamble for power, he now is dead as well, betrayed by one who's supposed to be his ally. Yeah, no, it was definitely a big shock, and I think certainly a shock for Roose. Uh, he, Michael McElton has done some interviews since his character's death. I interviewed him earlier today. Uh, one of the things that he's been talking about is like, you know, you can see that scene playing differently if, you know, Ramsey doesn't do what he does in that split second. Because if he doesn't do what he does right there you could very easily see Rue saying uh, you'll always be my firstborn son then he embraces him he breaks the embrace he snaps his fingers and some guards come in and just immediately annihilate Ramsey uh, right. it was really just like a, a half second difference of like who's gonna get there first uh, as soon as Roos finds out that he has a new heir, that he has a baby son, uh, you know that this thing is about to blow up. Uh, I mean, I didn't think that it was going to blow up quite that quick, <laughs> you know, in the moment. But you know that things are going to boil over. And I really liked how it was done. I think that, as you said, I love that it mirrors the Red Wedding. I think that it's, you know, no one is sending Roos their regards verbally, but the message is received loud and clear. And it's very reminiscent of how Roos kills Rob Stark, that I think that even if you wanted someone like Roos Bolton to have a grislier death because he is such a bad guy and you really wanted to see it drawn out, I think this was a really fitting death. Yeah, I completely agree. And I did like that it was surprising. And I feel like the consensus from everyone I sort of spoke to about this agreed, wow, that shocked me in an episode that had a lot of crazy stuff happening. The other part of it that you were mentioning, though, that maybe went too far was the way that uh, Ramsey killed Walda and her newborn child. Like, Walda deserved better. That's a case of a character. Like, bad things happen to good people on Game of Thrones. But I was like, this... Just the look on her face, just the way that actress played that. I was like, God, no, it was not another one. It was not difficult. another baby. It was hard. It was tough. It was, it was really hard to watch. It was really hard to process in the moment. Um, you know, we've, we've certainly seen in the Ramsey storyline some really undesirable things happen that have been uncomfortable to watch, uncomfortable to talk about, uncomfortable to sit with. Um, and this was, this was high on the list. And this is a show that has killed children before. Uh, you know, many, right. many, 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 many younglings were, were killed in the making of Game of Thrones. Not real younglings. Uh, just fictional <laughs> younglings. But remember all of Robert, Robert Baratheon? Bastard children. Yep. 
They all got slaughtered in the season two premiere. You know, an infant is the first one to die. I believe is right. the one that is the kickoff uh, getting stabbed. And it's all, like you don't see the knife go in, but you know what's happening. And that's terrible. Um, and this is similar where you're hearing what's happening and you know what's happening. And it's a really drawn out scene and it's really uncomfortable. You want to be able to fast forward through it. Uh, it's It sucks. It's really difficult. That all said, I mean, Ramsey is such a horrible, horrible, actual bastard. Um, and I think that the show has, you know, made that pretty damn clear through yeah, a lot of the Just in case you done. missed it, yeah. he's a bad he person. Is a, he is a bad guy. The show has made it clear on numerous occasions, but I think that, you know, there are times where it really wants to remind people of just how bad Ramsey is, especially as he's kind of being set up as, and not even being set up, he's established now as the human antagonist in the North. Uh, he is the bad guy in the North. That is not the White Walkers. Uh, and I think to really reestablish just how low this guy can go with a move like this, it's very effective. Um, and a lot of, I think, my anger about it and a lot of like my disgust about it, my, my doubts about it, uh, I, a lot of that was clarified for me when I read this article in, uh, at Vulture, New York Magazine's Vulture, by Jennifer Vineyard, who wrote uh, a story called All the Ways Game of Thrones as Ramsay Bolton is Way Worse in the Books. Uh, and she runs down all of these different things that Ramsay has done that I had forgotten about. And just to read the bold... Do you remember when he made dogs have sex yeah, with that's Jane on, Westerling? Yeah, that's, that's on this list. So th- these are some of the bolded highlights. He kills at least one brother, maybe more. He rapes, flays, and kills the women he hunts. He sets up a loyal servant to die for his crime. He kills Roger Castle. He kills the two Miller's boys presented as the Stark boys. That's not Theon in the books who does it. Uh, he forces his brides to marry him. He forces Theon to participate in rape. He rapes his wife with dogs, as you just said, Terry. He starves his victims. He breaks his victims' teeth. He makes his victims beg to cut off body parts. He forces his victims to live in filth. He's cruel to animals. He breaks an oath. Uh, that last one doesn't seem so bad, but that's the bolded highlight. Cruel to animals is very important. Yeah, all, all of that is really, really awful and certainly supremely highlighted in the books. And not to say that it's not highlighted on the show. I think a lot of it is highlighted on the show. But a lot of those things that were just mentioned, especially, uh, you know, the dogs and the wife. It, can you imagine if that happened on the show? Like, there's just some things that happen in the books that cannot happen on the show and still keep an audience. I think um, what's slightly different is we don't see it happen, right. or we don't typically see it happen in the books, and most of it is Theon's memories and reflections upon what happens. Ramsay is a way worse character in the books, but he's also way less of a character in the books. I would argue he's one of the like second-tier main characters on the show. And, you know, reading a book and and what you absorb there and watching it play out on a TV screen are two different things. Uh, There was another really great article that was written on The Verge about how um, Game of Thrones, the show, handles violence much differently than uh, A Song of Ice and Fire books handle it. And sort of the lesson there is very different. Like George is saying violence begets violence and all this happened because of bad things. And then we have scenes like in this episode when there are two people sort of like gleefully, not the people killing them are sort of gleefully smashing their heads into walls. And we as the viewer, I guess, are supposed to like get a kick out of it or something like that. So there is a little bit of mixed messaging that violence isn't always supposed to horrify us on Game of Thrones, even though this scene 
obviously was. Uh, you know, Ramsey is terrible. I almost wonder every time I admit that there are parts of Ramsey, the character on the show, that I really appreciate, and I find him to be not a fun villain, but a villain that, you know, is truly terrible, and, and Ewan plays it wonderfully. I wonder if every time I say stuff like that, David and Dan are going to kill a baby with dogs, <laughs> but, you know, maybe oh, this God. is all my fault. Maybe this is all my fault. This one's on you, Terry. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, you you hear a lot about Ramsey's actions in the books. You're right. And I think that that makes him, you know, a boogeyman of sorts. Um, and you see a lot of them through Te- Theon's eyes as well. But you hear a lot about what he does and reputation goes a long way. Uh, and, but I think it's also interesting that a lot of this was hearing. You know, a lot of it was the sound design and listening to the death at the very end was just really, really unsettling. I, I think it's yeah, the, a fi- aid, the Foley team went yeah. above and beyond. <laughs> Great Dan Foley that. team, for sure. I feel like there is, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways you could go on this. I could totally be behind you if you were really super uncomfortable and didn't like how this played out. Uh, I am more on board with it a few days after having watched it in terms of, I think it's important to really reestablish how desperate Ramsey is, how awful he is. And I do think that it's worth it. Rob said this during the feedback show, uh, that moment you get from Ramsey where he says without any mercy for Walda whatsoever, but also a little bit of like, almost like trying on the big boy pants for the first time where he says, I am uh, Lord Bolton, you know, I am the Lord of Winterfell. Uh, And I think that it's, you know, the contrast between that and the Winterfell of old, if you want to start segueing into some of this stuff, is really, really, no pun intended, stark. When you think about what Winterfell is like right now with a guy like this, such a deranged lunatic running the asylum, and back when it wasn't an asylum at all, it was a very happy place where young Stark children were running around and sparring with each other, and Hodor wasn't even Hodor yet. It's like we're almost 30 minutes into this, and we haven't talked about how we saw Lyanna Stark we in saw, this episode. We saw Lyanna I got, Stark. I got a bit emotional. Like, this is a moment I feel like I've just been waiting forever for. And she was so cute, and they all were so cute. The where was Brandon? Did I miss? Was Brandon, like, in the back somewhere? I don't know where Brandon was. Um... Yeah, I, I think that he wasn't there. I think at first I thought that Roderick Castle was Brandon. Oh my God, how hot was Roderick Castle? Though? I know, well, he didn't have the full chin strap yet. Yeah, he was building but up. But he was to working it. up to it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was no, Liana, I love the, Roderick Castle. The fact that Liana was physically in this episode, I was like, oh my God, get hype. We're going to get all the stuff this season. It's totally coming. Why else would they be showing her to us as a, ca- a character? Having Bran remind us, oh yeah, we've talked about her before and we've visited her crib and, and yada, yada, yada. I was just like, oh, so much good that I almost was too distracted when we found out that Hodor used to be a nice boy named Willis. Willis. Who, who used to talk, could talk normally and was a very sweet giant uh, led around by a younger old Nan. Yeah, younger old Nan, young Nan. Yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to say young Nan. Young, she was a nice youngish, youngish Nan. Young, younger Nan. Yunkai Nan. What do you think happened to Hodor? So I have no idea. I mean, this is this was really interesting to me in terms of getting this detail on the show where it's like, why does this have to be on here? Is it just is it just a color note? Is it just to sort of make us, you know, really excited to see Hodor again and like have this really great reveal about Hodor's past and just like a little bit of an allusion to what once was? Or is there something important happening here? And if there's something important happening here, what could it possibly be? What could it possibly be that, you know, 
why would it matter that Hodor was somebody else before Hodor? Like, why do we need to see the Hodor origin story? Do you have any theories initially, Terry? I, well, I've seen theories that maybe he was somehow involved in the Tower of Joy or what happened to Liana, which I don't quite buy. That timing does not add up to me. That being said, so that do- so let me let me just interject really quickly that our good friend Maester Goldner had written in a couple of questions this week, uh, and Maester Goldner observed during last night's flashback vision to the courtyard at Winterfell with Ned, Benjen, and quote unquote Willis, it became apparent to me that Willis slash Hodor is the only person still alive from the time of the Tower of Joy. Even though he isn't speaking much right now, Hodor could be the key to unlocking Jon's true parentage. He's at the Tree Cave and was alive when Ned returned from the camp with baby John. This is true. This is true because they haven't established anyone else still being alive. Well, Howland Reed is out there and who knows if he's ever going to come into things, if he decides to stop being a merman or some other ridiculous thing. Whatever, whatever. He's too busy being the high sparrow. And I'm still waiting for the man release. That's all (laughs) I'm saying. Uh, That being said, but I do think it was like something traumatic must have happened to Hodor to, to put him into this sort of like, recessive state where he can't speak and can't respond to his name or or anything like that. Um, But I do think once you set that question out there and Hodor is a character who people love, uh, I think it's giving Christian Nairn probably something a little bit meatier to do, but I bet that we get the answer to that. Honestly. Yeah. I I think that's something that they set out there to resolve whatever it may be. And I bet that it's important because they don't seem to be wasting a lot of time this season. Not a lot of time to waste this season, especially that amount of screen time. I mean, that was like a solid minute and a half and a minute and a half is really precious on these episodes of game of Thrones that tend to run like 54 minutes. Um, yeah. so, you know, I think you don't waste, you know, and it wouldn't even be a waste if it was a character known. I don't think, but I don't think that you utilize that much screen time if something isn't going to happen. I got to interview Isaac Hempstead right this week after this episode, and I asked him the question that was basically along the lines of this, which was, uh, was this a color note, or is this something that we're going to find out more about? He's like, oh, I really hope that we would find out more about it. Uh, And I feel like, again, that's the kind of answer you give if, like, yeah, we're going to find out more about it. Um, This was interesting, and this is really out there, Terry, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's worth just bringing up as a a conversation piece. This was on time.com, uh, and it was it's a headline. It's written by Megan McCluskey. It's a headline. There's more to that Hodor flashback on Game of Thrones. And it's basically supposing what happened to Hodor. And it is uh, leaning on a popular Reddit theory. Uh, let me just read from this article. Of course, this scene begs a few questions. When and why did Willis lose his ability to form full sentences? And where did the word Hodor come from? Some fans think they figured it out. One popular theory posits that Hodor's fate is directly intertwined with that of the White Walkers. In George R.R. Martin's A Storm of Swords, Melisandre tells John that the Great Other, the Lord of Light's evil counterpart, has a name that should not be spoken aloud. His name may not be spoken. He is the god of night and terror, Jon Snow, and these shapes are in the snow are his creatures, she says. This has led some to believe that Hodor was turned into an agent of the Great Other, whose unspoken name is Hodor, and sent to bring Bran north of the Wall for some yet-to-be-revealed purpose. Others think that he is the Great Other himself in disguise. One detail that seems to support these arguments is that when Bran works into the body of an animal, he can sense their thoughts at the back of his mind, but when he works into Hodor, he cannot. In A Dance with Dragons, Martin writes... Hodor would curl up and hide whenever Bran reached out for him. His hiding place was somewhere deep within him, a pit where not even Bran could touch him. 
In any case, with this first flashback scene out of the way, hopefully more information about Hoder's mysterious past will soon follow. What do you think about all that? That is interesting. It would be crazy. What a weird twist, right? What a weird <laughs> twist on Hodor. I mean, I could definitely see it being something where he was like touched by, you know, the White Walkers in some way or affected and that caused him to really retreat. But I think that honestly there's more to the idea that he was part giant or something like that that's been speculated for a while right. that maybe we could lean into. I think they even <laughs> say something like that on the show in this episode, right? right. Where it's like, uh, oh, he's got some giant's blood. What a crazy yeah. dude. Yeah, so I I don't know. I don't want Hodor to be a bad guy. I, and I think it would be weird if Hodor was the evil mastermind or something this whole time. I bet the Night's King is more the agent of the great other than... But hey, I've been wrong before. We've both been wrong before. <laughs> We've both worn dresses and mustaches as a monument to our incorrectness. Uh, but who knows? Worth throwing out there in case this wild theory is accurate. Uh, Rob and I have been talking a little bit on these podcasts about uh, does Hodor actually speak? Does like he actually know how to talk? Is this just like a Kaiser Soze verbal kint type of thing? Uh, and I, we've just been saying it as a joke, but this lends like a little bit of like a darker connotation to the possibility yeah. that is Hodor Kaiser Hodor I like I'm Hodor like scared to even I'm scared to even speculate on it yeah. at this point I hope that Isaac was teasing you in a good way and that we're going to find that out this season. Maybe that's our new great mystery of the show is why. What is Hodor really? But this idea that Bran could have been taken north of the wall for nefarious reasons is something that I've wondered about ever since A Dance with Dragons, uh, seeing the Children of the Forest, that whole meeting with the Three-Eyed Raven for the very first time always felt really, really heavy to me in a way that you could potentially read it as sinister. I think that, you know, the way that it seems to be playing out on the show right now suggests to me that it's less sinister. I think that it, that he seems to be on the right side of things. But just for, oh, just yeah. as just as a lark, I tossed that question out to Isaac uh, at the end of my interview with him. I asked him, final question, and it involves digging deep into the past, just like Bran. One of the most legendary figures in Westeros lore is Bran the Builder, who built the wall. Some have wondered if Bran Stark is following in his footsteps. Others have wondered if he's destined for an opposite fate as brand the breaker if he's a destroyer whether by accident or even more sinisterly by his own will do you have a take on the theory and he responded by saying my personal suspicion is brand's going to be a kind of enabler he's not going to be the one charging into battle and saving the day but i think his powers could come in useful for helping someone else win or get onto the throne whether that involves breaking the wall or not i'm not sure but i personally would like to see how that goes it would be pretty cool to break the wall See, I talk, when I talked to him at this uh, earlier press day that we talked about, he said a couple interesting things to me. One was that, you know, something along the lines of we'll be finding out more about the connection between the Night's King and the Three-Eyed Raven, which to me then suggests that there is a connection, which right. I hadn't necessarily thought of before. Uh, but he also said that he thinks that Bran is going to be the one to push it in one direction or the other, either be an asset to the Knights King or be an asset to the side of good, whoever that may end up being uh, opposing the Knights King, which is interesting because that's sort of the sentiment that I've had for years as well. Like, you know, Bran's going to be the swing vote, but who's to say that he's not being, you know, built up for some bad purposes by the three eyed Raven. I agree with you that it does seem like there are some more nefarious 
forces at work in the book. And even though we haven't seen that in the show, we also haven't seen that much of Bran or have a good understanding of what he's learned and why. Right. So I, yeah, I have a feeling, I think that Bran would be a great villain on the show, uh, whether we see that happen or not, or whether he has to make that choice is something that I'm excited to see play out. I'm excited about that as well. Uh, in terms of the visions, it's awesome that we see Lyanna Stark. I mean, yeah. it's, it's first off, it's just like, it makes you feel so good. <laughs> it's, just yeah. like, it's just like a wonderful, wonderful moment. Hector Sentinel had written in and said, I almost teared up when I saw little Ned, Benjamin, and Lyanna. It's so good to see them all together in the show, even though two are dead and one is missing now. It really is just like a feel-good moment. Yeah, there's like some bittersweetness to it because, as Hector writes, all are dead or missing. Uh, but just in that moment, there is just this old-school Game of Thrones nostalgic feeling when you see these three together and when you see Lyanna specifically on the show. Because that really, why are you having Lyanna on this show? unless R plus L equals J is a real thing. And it does feel like it's throwing those book fans a bone, yeah. which I appreciate because, you know, we're we're getting into difficult territory for those people. It, like, to finally get to see Lyanna Stark, that's, I don't know, that's really special and something that I didn't necessarily think the show would do, but I'm very glad that they did. Another thing that was interesting in my chat with Isaac is how how the visions are working out for Bran. Is that like Bran isn't choosing to go back to Winterfell. Uh, it looks like Bran is going to go to the Tower of Joy in the preview for next week. We could talk about that in a second. Uh, it looks like he's going to be there, but it's not that he is choosing to go to these places. He talked about how the Three-Eyed Raven clearly has some pretty set ideas about what exactly Bran needs to know. Uh, and I clarified with him i said so brand's not in control of what he's seeing this is all the three-eyed ravens plan and isaac said yeah for sure uh, mm. so this is all like so why does the three-eyed raven want brand to see old school winterfell why does he want him to see liana stark why would he want him to go to the tower of joy and possibly see ned stark there and see liana stark and possibly the birth of john snow um so i do feel like we will get that R plus L equals J reveal. And I think it's going to come from the brand storyline and tower of joy is happening next week based on the preview. It certainly looks like it is like I, we were joking about this beforehand. Like what if it's not? <laughs> and that's just the worst tease ever. Like they know what they're doing. I'm going to be so mad if the tower of joy were not <laughs> to happen in the next episode. I mean, the preview for it ends with Arthur Dane saying now it begins and young Ned Stark saying now it ends. That's the tower of, joy it has yeah. to happen and if it doesn't happen we riot we will riot we will burn things we'll burn things yeah. in the next book club um yeah that's really interesting i hadn't thought about who was controlling it i sort of just imagined that they were being swept along on this current of visions but i wonder if the three-eyed raven is trying to teach bran control because he like pulls him out what before bran is ready like what is he is he just trying to show him something or is he trying to help him right. restrain his powers and i wonder if the it was liana that was supposed to be the focus of that scene whereas it ends sort of with this willis reveal that surprised a lot of people i wonder if he was just trying to give bran context for who liana is and who she was as a person right yeah, so I think that that's, that's all really cool, all really interesting stuff. Just getting Bran back on the show, too. I mean, we're talking so much about how great it is to see Lyanna and see this flashback, but just seeing Bran again and seeing what they're doing with this story. Uh, really, I've been so hyped for Bran. Yeah, man, and, and they did a great job, I thought. I thought that this, you know, these scenes with Bran, I could watch a full season of just Bran yeah. digging around in Westeros history. It was so cool. 
And I think it's so interesting. I mean, obviously there's a lot of storyline in this episode we haven't touched on yet, but like I find myself so much more interested by this than anything going on with Arya or Danny or Cersei, who yeah, I sort true. of like would just like not talk about. Like I'm like, mm, okay, <laughs> whatever. Like I don't think that those things happen. You know what from a book perspective book perspective anyway, I don't feel like there's a ton to talk about with those characters. Arya is, you know, still blind, still learning how to deal with that. Um Cersei Common realizes the thing that we've realized about him seasons ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I'm a little bit of a wimp. Can somebody help me with this? <laughs> uh, you know, the high sparrow is still high sparrowing it up. Cersei is getting closer to, I think, making some moves. So that'll be really fun. The only thing is uh the Robert Strong thing. And you talked about the violence on the show a couple of minutes ago and used the Robert Strong bashing that guy's head into a wall as an example of like how are we supposed to feel about that? Is that supposed to be a joke? I think certainly it's supposed to have some levity. I think it's supposed to make you feel really uncomfortable as well and start to give you a sense of the scope of Robert Strong's strength. Uh, well, I also, there was a similar scene that was at, uh, at Castle Black. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the giant. Sure, 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 sure. I mean, yeah, that's definitely, that was slapstick too. Although I think it's also like, this is what one one can do. Don't just like shoot him with a crossbow bolt. Right. This guy will knock you down. Um, so I think it's informative about the characters, but I think it's really especially instructive in the case of Robert Strong because you're just waiting for Robert Strong to tear King's Landing apart. Like you're just waiting for Robert Strong to, like for everybody else involved in the show to realize what we already know which was making this guy was a very bad idea uh and to see how swiftly and how easily with no effort whatsoever he is able to just end this man's life in half a second or less i think is a testament to what he might be able to do or very likely is able to do whenever the hit the the fit hits the shan with the with the faith militant right that starts to really boil over so i think that there is definitely a purpose to that yeah I agree with you, but I still, I think that maybe it was just that the Verge article made me rethink uh, some of the violence on the show and totally. why sometimes it feels a little off tonally. Totally. No, um, I get it. I get it for sure. But, but I do, I really want to talk about Balin. Yeah, or, no, or, I, I, I just, I just to yada yada through that yeah, stuff. I don't think, yada, yada, like whatever, Cersei, whatever. Know, we don't yada yada through the best part and we really want to drill down into what happened at the Iron Islands. Uh, I don't know if I said this to you yet, Terry, offline, uh, but I, I think I did. I think I texted this to you the other day that I think that this one scene in the Iron Islands, the introduction of Euron Greyjoy is better than every single scene that we've gotten on Dorne on the show combined and not even close. Yeah, I would 100% stand behind that. Not anyone from Dorne because obviously the Red Viper had other amazing scenes, but God, Dorne sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like so on board. I was so on board. I've been really excited for Palau Iceback, which I'm sure I'm butchering his name, who is playing Euron. I think he did such a great uh, job just selling us in that monologue. And also, like, how funny is it that Balin ended up being the last of the five kings on the show? Amazing. Fantastic. But, he, but he finally died. He, fi- he, finally, he finally dies. As many people have pointed out, we've p- pointed out on these podcasts as well uh, this past week week that uh he dies he's the last of the leeches uh on the same night that melisandre brings Jon snow back to life potentially and that seems like a really great night for the red woman yeah big win big yeah big win big win she's got it all back does she even know can she feel it maybe maybe that will be dealt with in the next episode actually if if the next episode just opens with melisandre being like oh yeah well i I just 
I briefly remember that we forgot to touch upon the fact that the show finally dealt with Sansa and Arya, uh, like knowing Sansa asking Brienne, what's the deal with Arya right. and resolving that, which is a bit of an aside, but it does lead up to Theon we know is now heading back to the Iron Islands as well. Is he? Again. Is well, he? Is he? Is he? Is he? Because there is a very great theory that has been proposed by a great listener and friend of ours, Brendan Fitzpatrick, that when Theon says, I'm going home, he means he's going back to Winterfell. I think there's. I, I don't think that it should be ruled out yet. I agree that it should be ruled out, but I just want him to go back to the Iron Islands. It'd be good. It would be good. I don't know. I think it'd be some good stuff. I wish that Theon had gone all the way to Castle Black because I wish that Theon would take the Black and become part of the Night's Watch. I always thought that that'd be a good direction for his story. Uh, but that but is I not what's we've happening. done stuff similar to that. I want to see Theon. Yeah, but don't you feel like we need some people at the wall for when the White Walkers bust in and you want to have as many familiar faces there as possible? We do know that they're coming. There is that, you know, those great promos that show just like legions of White Walkers yeah. coming down, just doing terrible things. Um, I, I don't know about Theon. Like there are other, Brienne being there would be cool or something like that. I just want Theon to be someplace that feels a bit different than what he has done already. Yeah, fair enough. All right, let's not uh, let's not move away from the Iron Islands. Let's really drill down. We had we had always thought that something nefarious happened to Balon Greyjoy. We thought that something terrible had happened to him. It wasn't just an accident. Show confirms it. Uh, I think one of the big theories was it was a faceless man that killed right. uh, Balon Greyjoy. This is it, it, on the show at the very least. You're on Greyjoy's handiwork, and what an introduction. Yeah, it was a great scene, and I love that no one there even knows that he's back. I bet that we're going to get a big scene of that. I would, I have a feeling the show might jump straight to the king's moot uh, and not really deal with any of the politicking and, and you know campaigning that Yara does in the Asha does in the meantime. Um, but what a good scene! And then we got uh, Aaron too, the damp hair, and later during not uh, by Balin's name, I don't think, but no, but implied, like we right? know, you know yeah. that's who that was, right? I mean, it's gotta be. I, I feel like it's gotta be. I mean, whether or not they outright make him, you know, a Greyjoy uh, and make him a Greyjoy sibling is, I think, TBD. And in the in the books, I think age wise, Euron is older than the damp hair, especially one hey, of the. Euron's pretty young. He's pretty young on the show, Euron. Um, yeah. And you know, he's older in the book, I believe. And I think that one of the you know one of the big insinuations in the books is that Euron had sexually abused Aaron. Uh, that he yeah. had he had been abusive towards his younger brother, towards the damp hair in that way. Just one of the many, many, many reasons why Euron Greyjoy is awful, awful, He's awful. I wonder if they're going to make him more appealing in any way in the show. And we did talk about how you know the boats were all burned, so it explains how they would need right. it, with Danny. So it explains how they would all need Euron's help. Uh, I think it is really interesting that they picked someone who has such a striking resemblance to Alfie Allen. Someone said to me, they were like, I thought was like, was that Theon's dad? I was like, no, he he killed Theon's dad. Theon's right. dad is a character we met. So I thought that was funny that that person was confused. But, uh, but yeah, like what, that's part of what makes me hope that Theon ends up back at the Iron Islands, because I think the two of them side by side would be really interesting. And, you know, has the, how much has Theon learned from his horrible adventures? If he does end up back there with Yara and Euron and the King's moot happening and this sort of struggle for power in Pike. Uh, I think there's a lot of meaty stuff there that, 
if he went back to Winterfell, he would be meaty stuff, and I don't want to see that. Right. <laughs> we don't want to see that kind of meaty stuff. No, not that kind of meaty no, stuff. that'd be really bad meaty stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's enough meaty stuff going on at Winterfell <laughs> right now to throw Theon in the mix. I don't think we need to do it. Uh, but yeah, no, Euron's introduction was great. Real, uh, you got to imagine that that's going to come into play with Daenerys and in the books. Does he? Do, he has this horn that he gives to Victarion to bring to Meereen that is supposedly able of. Con- it's supposed to be capable of controlling dragons. Who knows if that's going to make it onto the show? But you don't put the Greyjoys in this position of prominence when you supposedly have no more than like twenty five episodes left of Game of Thrones at this point, unless they're going to pay off. Right. Why? Why introduce them now when there is already so much going on, and we're not even doing the Fagon? You know, we're not doing fake Aegon or real Aegon, depending on unless how you feel that's about what that. the Tower of Joy bait and switch actually is, which I think would be a letdown. Even though it would be cool to see them. No, I agree, and I actually had a chance to talk to Gemma Whalen. Look at us; we've so many interviews. Lots of interviews. Lots of interviews. Sorry we, we for all the plugs, folks, but we're deep in the but, trenches right now. Listen, we got we got everyone covered. We're getting answers. Uh, so I talked to Gemma Whalen, who plays Yara, and I asked that question i was like you know how much are like how important are these characters going to be now that we're bringing them back and she she didn't answer outright but she was like listen they wouldn't make this much of an investment with them if they aren't going to do something with them which i in my head i was like rip dorn okay but uh but yeah i i have a feeling that it's going to come back in a big way and there's so many like it makes me sad no one's asked where sam is like (laughs) in every comment no one's like oh where's no one asking where i am <laughs> but like there I are live. I'm still here. <laughs> there are so many characters to service uh that I I feel like they are gonna jump straight to the king's moot, but where do they go from there? Like does Euron take the role of going to meet up with Danny? What happens with that? Uh I'm excited to see them play a slightly more central role. I think you gotta imagine that Euron makes the trip. Uh yeah. Because nope. No Victorian, maybe. Maybe cutting it. That's no, like I, think, I think that he's gone, and I think that he's replaced by Euron. And I feel like you don't have the silence. You don't have this ship that is manned by a crew that have all had their tongues ripped out because Euron just needed the silence. I don't feel, I don't feel like you have that mythical ship that you always hear about in the Euron storyline in the books, also mentioned now on the show, unless that thing is going to set sail. I almost feel like they could, though, because Balin established how nuts, like how much Euron snapped in that scene. Right. I bet we could have that as sort of set dressing for who this character is. They come on his boat and everyone has their tongue cuts out. And he's like, I just needed the silence. Like, yeah. I feel like you could do that. Oh, no. I, oh, oh, you you must have misunderstood me because oh, that I is absolutely what I'm saying. Because well, like, that, that, that has to be on the show. I thought you said they couldn't. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. We're simpatico on this one. Okay, I, feel, I feel like you got to see it. Like We're always on the same team. Well, not always, but more often <laughs> than not. And even when we're not, ultimately we are. <laughs> I got your back, exactly. Schwartz. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that's all really cool. Let's not close out the book club without talking about Tyrion meeting dragons. Yeah. Oh my god. I like we. I was so focused on the other things that I legitimately forgot about that until that happened. I was so that happened. That happened. It happened. That was crazy. Was I did not real. expect that was a thing that would ever happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Uh, it happened. It was real. Uh, he met dragons. It was all of his book knowledge of dragons. He also reads the books. Uh, yeah. T- Tyrion's, Tyrion's. He learned from Quentin's mistakes. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I, you know, I was a little worried. Like, are we going to get a dragon tamer Tyrion thing where he's just going to get roasted? And would that reveal him as a Targaryen? That would have been really sweet. But that did not happen. Instead, he is just like super capable of dealing with dragons, even though he's a little afraid. Uh, and he wants to get punched in the face the next time he has an idea like this. Do you think funny do you think this note. is lending credence to the theory that Tyrion's part Targaryen? You guys know that I love me some Tyrion Targaryen. Uh, I am a fan of this theory. I love the idea of A plus L equal, or is it A plus J equals T? Yeah. Uh, that is the... A plus L is a very different... That would be a... Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's also out there as a theory, but that's... Dark. Yeah. I hope that that's not the way it goes. Uh, but A plus J equals T is the Mad King. Eris is Tyrion's father... Uh, and had his way with Tyrion's mother. And the timing works out if you read it in A World of Ice and Fire and the relationship between the Mad King Eris and Tywin Lannister really falls apart right around then, I think, or maybe even a little bit earlier. Uh, But a lot of it comes down to how the Mad King really objectified Joanna Lannister a lot. And there's a lot in that book, in that that coffee table book, that really suggests this is a possibility. I think the more and more you get Tyrion closer to dragons and talking about dragons and how much he loves dragons, it feels to me like you're not just putting that out there for no reason. I mean, also, there are dragons on this show, and Tyrion is in Meereen, and he's running the show here. So he just kind of has to interact with them anyway. Uh, And I think that you could see him doing all that stuff, even if he's not Targaryen. But this does not hurt the theory. You know, I don't know. I don't know if it completely boosts the theory. I don't think I would say that. But I think it keeps the theory afloat. I think it keeps the theory afloat as well. This is something that we do not agree on, because I think that it's so much more effective if Tyrion is Tywin Lannister's son, uh, because I think that the whole idea of Tywin saying, you're not my son, and, and, you know, trying to separate himself from Tyrion, having Tyrion be the person who's closest to him and most like him and actually is his son and his best heir, like, that, to me, makes it more effective uh but the, watching this i was like oh okay like all those theorists out there are gonna be saying this this is letting cream it to that um and it was a really cool moment it was a really cool moment i'm i did think i don't know it felt a little easy i was like since when are dragons this smart like no one can tell them to stop eating kids but we can like he can say hey i know your mom even though you she never talked about me and you know you've problem, never seen me before the problem terry is no one is talking to them like adults they're just like this talking down true. to them the whole time. It's Can like, you write like a growing up with dragons, <laughs> dragon raising book? Because I think Danny could use it. Is that for like kids or is it like an adult No, it's book? like for parents raising their parents. young dragons. You need to learn. A to young adult talk. novel? No, like an actual self-help guide. Got it. Maybe. Yeah. I'll work I th- on it. I think I think Danny could use it. I have to learn how to deal with dragons first. <laughs> well, you're on you're you have a good start. I really liked this idea of cat-sized dragons. Yeah, I did too. It's like, oh, I want one of those. <laughs> 
I love like God. Peter Dinklage gives good monologue because Great that monologue. reminded me of the one uh, a couple of years ago. Oh my God! What's the name of uh, Laws Sp- of Gods and Men? Yes, yeah. yes. Like this reminded me of that. Like sad Tyrion stories just get me every yeah. time. Oh, the yeah. I think yeah, well, there's a, there's there were a lot in season four that were really good. Yeah, I'm crunching beetles, crunching yeah. beetles. Right, 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 right. Plonk, plonk, plonk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's been great. He, I mean, Peter Dinklage is a star, and yes. every time he's on screen, he's typically doing something great it's you know more rare for to the point that i think it doesn't exist that peter dinklage is not great as Tyrion lannister like i think that he and anytime he's on screen it's going to be phenomenal and it was no exception with this scene so let's see keep it out there as an option i'm not necessarily saying i prefer Tyrion targaryen to Tyrion lannister terry Tyrion targaryen does have a good ring it to does it, have so. a good ring to it uh, what i'm saying is i'm very my heart is open I, you know, I am, I am ready for it if it comes and if it it might be coming at the rate this season is going, we're probably going to get it in episode four. (laughs) It's going fast this season and that is maybe too fast, a little, a little fast, but you know, I like it. I'm happy with it. You know, let's just get this thing on the road. Let's get popping. Let's make sure that big things are happening. Let's make big moves. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of this. Uh, but that is also the speed with which this book club is coming to an end today. At least, uh, Terry, Next week episode is called Oathbreaker. Yeah. And also we we talked about some of the things we're very excited about in this episode on <laughs> Tower of Joy, but there's this great moment in the preview for next week's episode where uh someone tells Ramsey he has a gift for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, a lot of speculation that that could be Rickon Stark. I've seen a lot of people say Where is Rickon? <laughs> Where's Rickon? You don't want him to be here. So I've seen that speculation. I think that Theon is a very viable candidate for this as well. Yeah, that's fair. I Feels like it's going to be a human passenger, though, for sure. I think I think it's not going to be like a cake or like a cell phone. What like, if it's, it's, what if it's a what if it's a fray pie? What if they collected the uh, the wall to fray meat? Oh my god! I've given up all hope for fray pie. Yeah, now the fray pie hype is alive. Oh man! Please god, don't. like the one thing the show is lacking is Winnell Manderley. I reread his his quote to davos where he says you know north remembers the north remembers yeah, like yeah. his chins are jiggling and uh, <laughs> i like, love those jiggling oh, chins i love everything about uh, him I and i do think the show is lacking his great speeches but yeah if we get some fray pies all will be forgiven i feel like we're not gonna get fray pies on the show no, you just built me up i know i don't think that we're <laughs> actually gonna get fray pies on the show i think that what they just did to wall to fray like i i feel like i don't know <laughs> But remember back to the episode after the Red Wedding and there's like the scene of the uh, Walter Frey and Roose Bolton in that, you know, great hall or whatever it was and them cleaning up and Walter Frey's cracking jokes. He's like, like the young wolf. And I was like, God, you monster. So maybe. Yeah. Who knows? But we'll see. We will see how that plays out. Oathbreaker coming up. Terry, the very first book club you and I ever recorded was for Oathkeeper. Oh, it's like our anniversary. Oathkeep, yes, indeed. I was telling Terry offline, so that doesn't sound so weird that I'm <laughs> that I am as of this recording thirty minutes away from my ten year anniversary with my wife not being married of just uh, being together. Uh, yeah, very exciting stuff. So you guys can all wish us a happy anniversary if you want, or you can just be mean and not say anything. Yeah, Either you way, have to. This is a little <laughs> bit of an overshare, but this is kind of like mirroring. Yes, you and I. <laughs> we, we don't tell Emily you said that. <laughs> we, we start. Started, uh, the book-
book club with Oathkeeper. Oathbreaker is coming up. I speculated on the podcast with Rob. Is something so earth-shattering going to happen on Oathbreaker as to have the opposite result of Oathkeeper? And the book club is shutting down next week. <laughs> what could it be? What would be so I big? I don't know. What oh, wait, what did we say? If they don't do Tower of Joy, we riot. Yeah, they we riot. Stop. We shut down. We okay, shut down. That's, those are the stakes. If the Tower of Joy is not an Oathbreaker, then you and I are out. We're done. Right. Book club's over. So everyone, write in your angry letters now. Make sure David and Dan yeah. make a quick change if they don't already have that coming. Yeah. Save the book club. <laughs> save the book club. Wait, uh, can that can that be our hashtag for this? Hashtag sure. save the book club. Sure. Save the book club. Terry, you were the hashtag on our feedback show. Did you know that? What was it? No. Uh, ha- I don't know if they've been tweeting them your way, but keep an eye out for hashtag FAO Terry Schwartz. Oh my gosh. Well, if I saw it, then I had no idea what it was. And I was like, who are these weirdos? But yeah. this makes so much more sense yeah, now. I spoiled I'm the flattered. Surprise. I spoiled the surprise. It's because we, we wondered what it would be like if Bran Stark had warged into Jon Snow's body and it was like big and he went to FAO Schwartz and played uh, Heart and Soul on the big piano with Melisandre. <laughs> that's the I kind of thing that you guys are getting show. in the feedback shows if you're not listening to them you really i would watch that show yeah i think that'd be pretty good all right follow terry on twitter at terry underscore schwartz she is writing all sorts of awesome 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 things for ign game of thrones related and tons of other shows and movies as well lots of fun stuff i saw you guys doing for may the 4th for star wars day oh, yes it's really fun stuff that terry is doing on ign i'm at round howard you can follow me and get all my game of thrones stuff as well or you can go to thr.com slash game of thrones for all of our Game of Thrones coverage. Terry, do you have a, a short link for your IGN shenanigans? No, God, I'm not smart like that. <laughs> work I on should. that. No, I don't. You want to yeah, work I'll on Yeah, I'll work that. on Maybe it. Maybe for next, next time. week. Next time. We'll see. If there is a next week, we will if see. If there is, hashtag we'll save the book club. Hashtag save the book club. That's going to do it for this week. Terry, fun stuff today. Yeah, this was a blast, and I can't wait, maybe, for next week. We'll see. We will see. But by the way, did you hear that? Jon Snow's back! He is losing! Uh, It's cool. Very cool stuff. All right, take care, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Jon Snow!